morning, everybody. And I don't know about you, but it's good to be here this morning. When do you get a chance in your normal week to be around this many people that love God? It just doesn't happen except for when we get together. At least it doesn't happen for me. And it's always refreshing to be around people that love Jesus. My name is Alan, if you don't know me or haven't met me yet. And we are in the middle of a series of lessons called Worth It, Living the Worthy Life. And in this series, what we're looking at, we're looking at the life that God has called us to live. And each week, we're looking at a different element of that life and what it means to live worthy of his calling. Last week, Gary kicked us off talking about citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. That citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is worth it. And what it looks like, what it means to live worthy of that citizenship. This week, we're going to try and talk about holiness. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but holiness isn't exactly a popular topic in churches these days. It doesn't get talked about too much. In trying to put this lesson together, I did some internet searches to find, okay, well, what have other people preached on it? What have they said? And there was this list that I came across. It was called the top 50 sermon themes of all time. Holiness didn't make the list. I was like, huh, seems to me it should be a little more important than that. In fact, I'll show you a verse here to get us started. It's in Hebrews. And the Hebrew writer says in chapter 12, verse 14, He says, make every effort to be holy, because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Sounds like holiness might be a big deal. Did you get that impression from that verse? Yeah, so I did a little more digging. Did you know that the word holy, not counting the word holiness, but the word holy appears in the Old Testament 431 times? And then the New Testament, about another 200. So I thought what we would do today is is carefully examine each one of those verses. (laughs) You didn't have lunch plans, right? It's a holiday weekend. You got time. No, I'm not going to do that to you. But it does it does kind of hit me this way. Husbands, if your wives repeated the same thing to you 600 times, Some of you can say, amen, brother, preach. (laughs) You might think that she's got something on her mind she's wanting you to pick up on, right? If she has to tell you, you know, the trash needs to be taken out regularly, 600 times, it's kind of hard to miss that this is important to her. And I think it's the same thing when we read anything in the Bible that is talked about this much. In fact, the contrast between how little we talk about holiness versus how much The Bible, God's Word, talks about holiness. Something seems a little askew. So let's look at this a little bit today. I guess where we ought to start with the conversation is, what is holiness? Anybody want to take a stab at it? It's not a complicated word. Holiness is not necessarily a complicated word. But the way we talk about it, sometimes makes it difficult to understand what the word means. How many times do you hear it said this way? Oh, holy cow. (laughs) Holy moly. There are other less delicate uses of of the word holy. 
I cringe even more now whenever I hear holy paired with words that are vulgar because of, of what holiness actually means. So where you use it as a, as a, I don't know, just as a mindless adjective, that, that, that sort of takes away its meaning, doesn't it? So we get used to hearing the word holy without really assigning a specific meaning to it. In that case, how many times have you heard someone referred to as being a holy person? That's a holy man. She's a holy woman. Uh, the, the Pope is referred to as the Holy Father. What do you assume from that kind of language that holy means? Morally superior? Pure? How, how many, have you ever heard someone say, that person is holier than thou? The way we use the word holy sometimes gives us some ideas about what the word might mean and what it means to be. But in most of the cases, whenever I've heard it talked about without just being flippant, it seems to carry this idea of someone who's a cut above. Someone who's morally or spiritually superior to others. Is that what holiness is about? I don't think so. Would it surprise you to know that in the Old Testament there were utensils in the temple of God that were called holy? There were holy garments. In the temple itself, there was a holy place and a holy of holy places. There was a holy anointing oil. There was a Sabbath day that was holy. In each case, we're talking about an inanimate object. So it's not about moral superiority, is it? It can't be. It has to mean something more than that. In its most basic and literal understanding, the word holy means to be set apart. That's not complicated, is it? You know, if I've got 12 grapes, I set one apart, (laughs) that's the idea of holy. If I've got 12 people and I set one apart, that one's holy. If I've got, it's set apart for something specific. Holiness is the condition or the state of being set apart, of being removed from all that is common. That's the contrast with holiness. Holiness is set apart from what's common. In fact, if you go back and you look at Leviticus chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, there were some instructions to the priests. And there they were told, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common. And you're to teach the people the difference between the two. Here's another way to maybe think about it. Holiness isn't so much about being a spiritual superstar as it is about being an active member of God's team. Let that sink in for just a second. Holiness isn't so much about being a spiritual superstar as it is about being an active member of God's team. All those inanimate objects I just mentioned to you in the Old Testament, they were set aside to be used for one purpose, for God's purpose. All the animate objects, us, we're called to holiness to be set apart for one purpose, for God's purpose. The opposite of holiness is sameness. S-A-M-E, 
sameness. Forget Hollywood for a second. To be unholy is to be just the same as everybody else. Boy, now if that doesn't get your attention, I'm not doing a good enough job this morning. Because when we think about unholy, we think of things that are off the scale bad, don't we? But that's not really the case. The opposite of holy, to be unholy, is to be just the same as everybody else. There's another fact about holiness that I want to put out here. Holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive. Holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive. Have you ever heard it said that my marriage is supposed to make me holy, not happy? There was a there was a book on marriage a few years ago that was actually very good. I think his name was Chapman. And he he had that line. And several of us said, well, that makes sense. But here's the problem. The way that we, we began to talk about that in our conversations almost gave this idea that, well, it's an either or. That there's holiness or there's happiness. That they're mutually exclusive. But that couldn't be further from the truth. Happiness belongs to those who are holy. I'll prove that in a second. I want to make one more statement. It is true that trying to be happy won't make you holy. Think about that for a second. Just trying to be happy is not going to necessarily make you holy. How many ways do you know of that people try to make themselves happy? How many ways have you tried to make yourself happy? How many times did it work out? And did any of those times actually result in holiness? Trying to make yourself happy probably puts you a little too high on the food chain. A little too important. But here's the thing. Actually, holiness will bring you happiness. Holiness will bring you happiness. So, yeah, my marriage isn't supposed to make me happy. It's supposed to make me holy, which will make me happy. That's how we should finish that sentence about marriage. Holiness is a big deal. Happiness belongs to, I'm going to show you some verses to try and prove my point here. Happiness belongs to those who take refuge in the Lord. I'm just going to read the upshot of them and we're going to flip through these kind of quickly. Happiness belongs to those who have their sins forgiven. Yeah, when you understand what forgiveness of sins is, definitely some happiness with that. Happiness belongs to those who live in a nation whose God is the Lord. Man, could you imagine? When we sometimes talk about America being a Christian nation. It's not. But if everybody worshipped God, if holiness was something that defined our country, that we were set apart as a country for God, how cool would it be to live in a country like that? The Bible affirms it. Happy is the nation whose God is Yahweh. Happiness belongs to those who care for the poor. Happiness belongs to those who live with and praise God. Happiness belongs to those who trust in the Lord. And happiness belongs to those who fear the Lord. I've got all these in your notes, so you can go back and look at those and 
read through those and see if what I'm telling you is true, but there's a connection between holiness and happiness that I think is undeniable. And yet so many times we just leave it out of our language. We leave it out of our conversation. We leave it out of our sermons. We leave it out of our instruction to ourselves, to our families, to us as a people of God. We don't even talk about holiness that much. And yet we've been called to live holy lives. And holiness is worth it. That's what I get from those Old Testament quotes I just gave you. Holiness is worth it. I want to show you a couple more verses. First Peter, chapter 1, 15 through 16. Peter says this. He says, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. As he who called you is holy. If you're a Christian, you've been called. Maybe more so than that, you've actually answered the phone. I think God calls all of us, but we answer the phone, some of us. And he's called us to be holy. God wants us to regard him as holy and for us to be holy like he is. God is not common. God's not like everything else. God is set apart from the common. And he calls us to be the very same because we're his people and we're supposed to be like him, set apart. Again, it doesn't mean being a spiritual superstar. It means being an active member of God's team. There should be a stark contrast between the lives we live as Christians and the lives of those around us who don't know him. Holiness requires us to live differently. And too many times what happens, we try to be like the world around us. And holiness gets lost. And people don't see a difference between being a Christian and not being a Christian. And their opinion of God is lowered to the point that now people don't believe he exists. And if he does exist, he must not be all that he's cracked up to be because look at his people. I think holiness is something that we need to restore to our vocabulary, restore to our understanding. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 11, Paul says, We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Have you ever thought about that? Of being worthy for his calling? So many times what I hear on Christian radio and different songs, especially the songs, really talk about God just loves you. There used to be a billboard in town that said, God's not mad at you. And I thought, now wait a minute. Not everybody that's going to read that is, is reading the truth here. God does get bothered with some things. He wants to make us holy, though. And he will make us holy. How will he make us holy? To be worthy of his calling to holiness, I must do a few things. Here's the first one that I found. Number one, I need to prepare my mind for action. I need to get my mind right. I need to get my mind prepared for action. First Peter 1.13, Peter says this. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action 
See, I didn't make that up. Peter said it. Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This, this phrase, preparing your mind for action, that catches my attention. I hope it catches yours. The idea of holiness isn't about sitting still. It's not about being quiet and contemplating. Apparently, it's about action. We've got to get our minds right about doing some things. And what else does he say in that sentence? He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. To have my mind prepared for action seems to me that I'm going to have to have my mind ready to be thinking about Jesus and thinking about the day to come when he is revealed. So here's here's a question for you. Just do a little self-assessment. This is just for you. Is my mind prepared for action? Because this is going to tell you something about your present state of holiness. Holiness is worth it. Are you living worthy of that calling to holiness? That's what we're trying to get at here, right? So be honest with yourself. Do I think about that day that Peter's talking about? If I'm not thinking, I mean, there's a yes or no for you to circle there in your notes. If I'm not thinking about the day when Jesus is revealed, if my hope isn't fully set on that day and the grace that will be, how does he say it? The grace that will be brought to you. If I'm not thinking about it, how can I think that my mind is prepared for action? How can I think that I'm living set apart and living in holiness as I've been called to if I don't even think about the day of his return? In the circles that I run in, we're talking about this more and more all the time. Because one of the things that we've heard about is a new body that comes at the resurrection. And I'm in an aging circle. (laughs) And every time I walk past a mirror, I'm thinking, but there is still hope. (laughs) Not in this life. As Paul says, you know, my hope is only in this life. Well, (laughs) but there, and so those that I'm talking with, we're talking more and more, not just about the new body, but the new heaven, the new earth, this new existence in God's presence apart from sin. And we get more excited about this. And it motivates us to live that different life and to not just be common, not just to be like everybody else. To have my mind ready for action, I have to be thinking about Jesus' return. And so the next question I'd have you ask for yourself as a self-assessment is, am I living now for that day? Am I thinking about that day? Do you think about it? Do you talk about it? And am I living for it now? If the circles that you run in, they're not talking about that day, you need to change circles. Or you need to change the circle you're in by starting to talk about it. Because it's in those conversations that I have with my brothers and sisters who are eagerly anticipating this hope that we have being made real and seeing it, it's as we discuss about it and keep it changes how we think, which changes how we act. 
and causes us to live differently. Not a common life, but a life that's been marked out for God's purpose. Set aside for holiness. You see the connection? If you answer no to one or both of those questions, I hope that you'll be alarmed because the very first verse I showed you is that without holiness, no one will see God. You'll miss him. So I hope that if you find yourself going, yeah, I haven't paid attention to this, I hope that it will jar you into saying, I want to pay attention to this and get some people to help you. That's what I do. That's what others do. I think it's part of God's plan. The second thing, to be worthy of his calling to holiness, I must do is I must put away my old life. I gotta put away the way I used to be, the way I used to think, the way I used to act. First Peter, chapter one, verses 14 through 16. Peter says this, he says, as obedient children. We all love children that are obedient, right? I mean, you really gotta love children to not love, <laughs> to love the disobedient ones. But he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. See, there was a time when we didn't know any better. There was a time when we didn't understand what the kingdom of God was about. And we were driven by our passions, which frankly is how the rest of the world around us operates. But he says, if we're going to be obedient children, we can't do that anymore. We've got to put that away. He says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Holiness is not just a state of mind. Holiness is not just... It's not stained glass religion that we're into here, guys. It's about action. It's about all your conduct being set apart for the Lord. We're not to live like we used to when we didn't know about the kingdom of God. When we didn't know what it was like. But herein rise a little bit of a problem. How many of you guys know what the kingdom of God is about and what living in his kingdom is all about? Do you want to know? Do you want to know what it's about? If your head is wrapped around this idea of what's coming, the answer can only be yes. Now I'm going to shamelessly plug a class that we've got going on Sunday mornings. It's called The King's Guide to Kingdom Living. And really, it's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But specifically, how many of you guys were in the class this morning? Did it push you? Did it challenge you? Jesus' sermons do that. It's not the quality of the instructor. I guarantee it's not that. But when we take and we look at what Jesus says about how we're supposed to live in his kingdom, it turns on some lights. And we no longer remain ignorant. And we start changing and we live holy lives. God makes us worthy of his calling. Do you care enough about holiness to find out through my class or some other way about what living in the kingdom of God is all about? Will you pursue it? It is worth it to live the holy life. The question is, will you be worthy of it? The word church 
in the New Testament is the Greek word ecclesia. You know what that word means? Called out. Now think about that, that definition for just a second, how they understood the word church. Ecclesia, called out, up against the definition of holy, to be set apart. Do you see the connection? God intends for us as a body of believers to live different lives, to be called out of the common way of living, and to live a different way for his glory, for his kingdom. And many of us were attracted to Christ first because we saw that life could be different. We found out that there is actually a different way to be human. We would never have seen that if there wasn't some holiness. If there wasn't someone learning to walk in holiness, to be set apart and used for God's will. So I want to challenge you with that. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, Paul says there that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. Now, I don't know what definition you got of grace, and I'm not going to go into that this morning because I could wind up for another 20 minutes talking about it. But you cannot miss that grace is supposed to be training us. If your definition of grace doesn't fit with that statement, you need to challenge your definition of grace. Paul told Titus that the grace of God has appeared and it's training us to renounce ungodly lives and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, right now. While we wait for our blessed hope, there it is again. Peter talked about it, now Paul's talking about it. While we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Do you hear holiness in that? To purify for himself his own people, to pull them out Ecclesia, church, to pull them out of the world, to set them apart, holy, for his own possession, people who are zealous for good works. God wants us to be zealous for good works. And the grace of God will train us. Now, when I hear the word train, I think of a process. Do you? Anybody here compete in athletics? What what was your sport? Gary, yours was was running, right? Gary was smart. He chose running. I chose boxing. It'll explain some of the things about my personality and my facial features. I chose boxing. The first time I was introduced to the sport, I don't know how it was for you whenever you got involved in whatever sports you got involved in, but for me, the way they said, <laughs> this little old man said, his name was Roy Hanner, so if he's still alive, Roy, this is your fault. Anyhow, Roy got me up in the ring. He says, yeah, just stick and move. There was no training. I got beat like a cheap steak. I mean, it was not pretty. But he did it for a purpose. He wanted me to understand this is not going to just happen. 
you're going to have to train if you want to do this. And there was a process of training. And every sport seems to have this connection, doesn't it? There's a training that goes on. And no less is it the case that grace will train us for these good works. The question is, is are you zealous for that? Are you excited for these good works? Holiness isn't about sitting around in judgment on everybody else, by the way. It's not about sitting around feeling really good because we're all sitting in here talking about Jesus. Or because I don't sin like that guy or that girl. That's not holiness. That's probably more akin to self-righteousness. And those aren't the good works that we're called to live. The good works that he's talking about are the ones where we sacrifice ourselves to serve others. When we say no to our desires and yes to his. And grace trains us to do that. Okay, last point I want to show you this morning. To be worthy of his calling to holiness, I must proclaim the excellencies of my king. Proclaim the excellencies of my king. Looking at Peter again, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Peter says this to those who are Christians. He says, you are a chosen race. Again, chosen, pulled out of the common, set apart for something holy. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. In the kingdom of God, we are an actual nation. Not just any nation. Not a nation like the other nations in the world. We're a holy nation. We've been set apart for God's purposes. He says, you're a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. See, I didn't make up this point either. There it is in the, in the scripture. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Have you forgotten what God saved you from? Do you remember how bad it was when you were just doing what everybody else did? Do you remember what it was like to be common, to be ordinary, to be without hope, without purpose and direction, to be stumbling around in the dark, literally not knowing why things were hurting because you didn't even see always the difference between right and wrong? That's what the kingdom of darkness is about. That's the only other option that there is. There's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, and there's the dominion of darkness. And Peter wants us to remember what it was like when we were, and who it was that called us out, Ecclesia, called out, the church, called out of that and set aside, made holy for his purposes. He wants us to remember that and that we are supposed to proclaim the excellencies of the one who did that for us. I don't know how you're reading this this morning, but whenever I'm looking at these verses, this is how, I, how it, it comes clean to me. To walk in a manner worthy of the holiness that we've been called to. We've got to get our heads right. We've got to get our minds right. We've got to get ready for action in our thinking. We've got to be thinking about action. And we've got to live different godly lives. Lives that are not common. Lives that don't conform to the rest of the world the way the world does it. 
We have a king and a kingdom. We're supposed to be transformed into that. And we've got to be willing to talk about how good God is. It's not apparently, as I look at Scripture, enough just to know God, to know what's right, to be able to quote Scripture. It's not just enough to do that. We have to live it visibly, and we have to talk to people about Him. Because that's part of being worthy of holiness. I'm out of notes, so I'm going to wrap it up here. Maybe this is part of why holiness doesn't get talked about in churches a whole lot today. Because this has got some teeth in it. Holiness is worth it. On every level, it's worth it. But are you willing to be worthy of it? That's the question. Are you willing to get your mind right? Are you willing to change the way you live? And are you willing to tell people about how good God is? That's all a part of being worthy of the calling to holiness. So, I'm going to pray and leave that lesson with you. If there is some way that we can help you with this, if there's a question, uh, if there's a, if you want to take issue with something I've said this morning, man, I'm available for that. I don't know everything. I'm just trying to show you what I found in Scripture, and I hope that God will make it plain to you. And if you're not in circles where holiness is important, you need to find a circle where it is.